I would proudly like to introduce you to Pastor Chris. Um, you do your thing. I'm going to be back up here with some of the staff and elders and, and trustees, and we're going to pray over Chris and his wife. So we'll see you in about a half hour. Right. <laughs> you can go have breakfast somewhere, Mark. So, yeah. Anyway, but, well, uh, I would like to say a couple of thank yous real quick. And uh, just, you guys have a, a wonderful pastor. And uh, Mark's uh, just been fantastic in this process and I've uh, been so patient and, and I mean, I'm like antsy to do things and Mark is just like this, this steady rock of patience and just waits, you know, and, and it's just been uh, refreshing to be with him. Uh, you know, my tendency would be to uh, dive into details and all this stuff and we haven't talked about a single thing about the church, right? Like since we've been here, it's just been great, like just spending time with you guys. And it's exactly where we need to be. And I just thank Mark for that. And so you guys are lucky to have him as your pastor. Uh, thank the elders for spending, you don't know, they, they spent hours and hours watching videos of uh, our interviews because the guys in Heath wanted to spend hours and hours interviewing. Uh, and so we did that. Uh, and, uh, and it was great. We love them. Uh, you know them. Uh, we can't, I just keep hearing all these amazing things about them. And we've had great experiences with them so far. Uh, just to thank the Heath team again. Uh, as I did last night, but, but really, honestly, guys, I just want to say thank you to you. You guys, the rock. Uh, I am just so uh, overjoyed when I engage a church that wants to say yes to Jesus and wants to say yes to the mission and says, man, we're going to give away what are, not just, not like leftovers, we're going to give away our best. We're going to give away like what, it, it kind of hurts to give away at times, but it's so good. It's so good and it's so right. And, and we, while we might be thousands of miles away, one day we will all be gathered around one throne, right? And we'll all be in one place. And we'll all be together rejoicing around one thing, Jesus. And so, uh, so I thank you for saying yes to that. Well, before we get into God's word, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you. Um, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that we can come and that, Lord, you invite us to just sit at your feet. Lord, just this beautiful picture of Mary just sitting at your feet, Lord, being attentive to you, Lord, the, the being about one thing, you, Lord. And I pray that this morning we would be about one thing, just listening to you, being attentive to you. God, so Spirit, would you move in our hearts? Would you, would you open our hearts? Would you soften our hearts, Lord, to receive what you have for us today? Would you open our ears? Would we be a people that have ears to hear? Lord, and we just, so we just submit this time to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, various circumstances in our lives really elicit different responses and thoughts. And uh, recently for our family, we were told that my mom is in the early stages of Alzheimer's. And uh, we had a pretty good idea of this probably over the last year or two years, just some things that began to kind of be a little bit amiss with her. But she'd had, she did have breast cancer, and so she took some you know, chemo medication, and they say there's a thing called chemo brain. And my mom kept telling us that's what it was, and I had never heard of that, so I was a little skeptical. But anyway, we got her checked, and, and the doctors came back with the diagnosis that she, does, she is in the early stages of Alzheimer's. And uh, but, you know, for me, I honestly, probably until my sister came and told me about that, I had kind of shut it out of my mind, didn't try to think about it a whole lot. I mean, you can't help but think about it, but I didn't, I tried not to think about it a whole lot and just waited for the doctors to say what they needed to say. They're the professionals. Uh, I went to seminary, they went to med school, and so I'll let them be them and they'll let me be me, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, but, you know, so I got the news and, and after the shock wore off and I allowed myself to think about really what this means, I've come face to face with mortality in a, a really new way. 
my own mortality, the mortality of, of mankind. You know, when somebody near and dear to you is facing, you know, uh, death or facing something that's, you know, kind of a big deal like this in their lives where, you know, they're telling you, like, I mean, she could live for 15 years, she could live for two. And you're like, whoa. And, but, you know, but her mind, her mind won't, no matter how long she lives, probably won't last as long as she does, Right? So there's this sense of mortality that you have to face and there's a sense of, of mortality that it, honestly I have to face probably twice as my mom's brain dies and then also eventually her, she physically dies and not trying to be morbid or sad or, or you know, today, but, but there's th- just this sense of like having to face that and having to face the reality of the, the, probably the worst thing about our sin, right? The, the fall of mankind is that death entered the world. You know, separation entered the world. Uh, separation from the Lord, but separation from each other as well. And, uh, and so when, when this happens, at least for me, like I've been thrust into this time of reflection. And it's really kind of this natural part of a, a grieving process. And, you know, sometimes you know you're in it and sometimes you don't know you're in it. I didn't, you know, as I was uh, kind of thinking about this and even researching it, I like discovered like, oh yeah, I think that's where I'm at. Uh, I'm in this natural part of the grieving process. Uh, you come to this place of accepting your loss or your eventual loss and, and it begins to set in your heart now some people kind of lead into this state of depression when that happens to them but and i and i'm not saying this just to you know be all christiany about it but i really am thankful like my mom knows jesus right my mom knows christ and so i can truly be okay with like what's going to happen to my mom i know where she's going i know what's going to happen to her and i know god's promise and God is faithful to his promise, and we'll see that even in our text today. God is faithful to fulfill what he says he's going to do. And so he says that, there, that one day all things will be made new, right? And many of us in this room are going, amen to that, right? Like our knees are given out, you know, and I'm only 38. My knees are like still st- are starting to struggle. I'm like, really? Come on. Like, you know, so, uh, you know, but one day, like all things will be made new, even my mom's mind, right? He's going to restore these things. He's going to make it right. It's going to be awesome. So really, after I reflected on my mom's uh, life, uh, you know, in, in recent days, rather than being downtrodden about so much loss, I'm really overwhelmed by these memories of her sacrificial love for me and my sister. I have a sister that's about four years older than me. And I can truly say that I have this amazing, amazing mom who has never, never wavered in her love for her kids, never wavered in her love for us. In fact, she's literally one of my heroes in life. I look to my mom and, and just look at her life and what she gave uh, for us. And I, I'm just so thankful. But here's the thing. As I reflect on, on how amazing she's been, I'm also reminded that I caused my mom quite a bit of angst. Right? Like most of y'all, like you're chuckling. You're not chuckling at me. You're chuckling because it's you too. Right? You're chuckling because you know that you've caused your parents some angst as well. And and you're, some of you are, are parents of little kids, and you're like, yeah, I finally get what mom was talking about. Like, you know, my mom was always like, oh, one day you'll know. One day you'll know. You know, and like I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and like they're getting, like, as they get older, it's like, oh, man, like, you know, you just, you little heathens. Like, you know, uh, and, uh, uh, and they're wonderful. They're wonderful little heathens. And, and so, 
And we love them so much. And, I'm, and as I, you know, I said last night, I'm just like praying that Jesus comes back before they like really get bad, right? So, uh, you know, it, we, we love being parents, but uh, I love, I love uh, my kids. And, and man, I just want to model like a love for them that like my mom modeled for me, right? So just putting up with so many things. Because I'm reminded how she's been with me through the thick and thin. She's been there for everything, like the good days and the bad days, like, hey, you know, sitting there on the, the side of the field in a soccer game, you know, cheering me on and showing up at times in life where I was in trouble for something and she's right there, you know, like walking me through that whole thing. And as I consider the unwavering love through the chaos, my gratitude and, and affection for her penetrates a new depth in my heart because I'm realizing how much I've honestly taken my mom for granted. Man, what an amazing woman, and I've just taken her for granted in so many ways. You know, and just like I've taken her for granted, and, and just like maybe some of you are going, yeah, that might be me too. You know, I think we tend to both individually and then even corporately, as, you know, as a church, take God for granted at times. We just take God for granted. And we do this in a variety of ways, but most aptly and simply is, is our natural tendency to forget God. We just forget Him altogether. And... and we forget him and, and to forget that God has, has really created this harmonious design for our lives that we, we only experience when we're walking with him and trusting his guidance. Like this is the best place for us to be, is to be trusting him and allowing him to guide us in our life. And you see, God has, has purposed and, and he has a purpose and design for us to flourish and thrive. This is like, God has this beautiful design. He created the world, and he said that it was good. He created all things. I love the creation story. I love Genesis. Genesis just tells me everything about God. And and we see this beautiful design of God, and he creates it all in this harmonious manner, and he looks at it all, and he says it's good. And and this word good is a very similar word that we see that's connected to our understanding of righteousness, being right with God. God was declaring that this is right. This is good. This is beautiful. This is how I intended it to be. And this is what astounds me about the fall, right? Like there's one thing, one thing, that God tells them they can't have. That's it. God gave them dominion over everything. Everything. And he told them it was good. And it was beautiful. God has this wonderful design for us to flourish and thrive. Yet we continue to think that we know what's best, right? We think we know what's best. We continue to choose our own path. We continue to want to be our own God or create these little G-gods these idols in our lives that give us a false sense of security. You know, like my bank account. I know what my bank account has in it, and I track it. And, and here, I'm trying to learn how to, like, be even better at 38 years old about tracking, like, what's in my bank account, okay? Like, so I know that that's a diligent practice, but, like, some people, maybe some of you wake up every morning, and it's like, like, you don't, you can't even get out of bed. It's like this natural, like, the alarm goes off, and it goes to your phone, and you're, like, looking at your bank account. Do, you know, like, where am I at? Like, you were just asleep for eight hours. What do you think happened? Like, what could have happened, like, from the time? Because you probably looked at it before you went to bed. Like, what could have happened? But there's some sense of, like, security we have when we look at our bank account and know that, like, there's money to go to Chick-fil-A, right? Like, I know, hey, man, I don't, like, I, I can at least go to Chick-fil-A today. So, like, we, we love the security of having something, like, tangible that we can put our hands around. And it gives us this sense of stability, 
But there are these idols that are false because at the end of the day, all of that fades and burns and goes away. Man, the economy of God, like in, in the eternal glory of the heavens, like hopefully, like I don't know if there's going to be money there. That's not like depicted for us. Why? Because God doesn't care about that. God's not concerned about those kinds of things. So we don't need to be like gravitating towards these little bitty G God, these little G gods and these idols in our lives. They, they're, they're false gods. They're false security for us. You know, we continue to forget God all the time until we realize that we actually need God. You know, like anybody ever been around like, you know, people who are, are you know, in, in AA or struggling through those kinds of things? I know you all have like two or three groups that meet here. When we were in Massachusetts, we had a lot of uh, groups that met in our church up there. We were allowed, around a lot of people with a lot of drug addiction up there. You know, and you look at them and sometimes we want to look at them and be like, man, what happened to you? And at, at the end of the day, honestly, we are, that's, it's, that's us. Like we're all the same in that way. You know, and we all like have to come to a point of realizing like we're at rock bottom in life at times. And we need God. And when we come to that place of being rock bottom because nothing seems to be going our way, nothing is working out our way, like life seems to be chaotic, like it's, it's m- most likely because we have forgotten God. And it's in that moment that we realize we need God. But here's the thing, yet, uh, yet our sense of, of need can still trip us up if we never get to the place of remembering who it is that meets our need and how we need, that need is met. You know, Pastor Mark last, last, uh, talked about last week that we need to come to a place of contrition, a place of mourning over our sin, of realizing how much we've wronged the Lord. But we don't need to then wallow in our sin. Like some of us come to this place of like, oh, I am a sinner. And we wear this badge of honor of being a sinner. Like look at me as though like people are like, wow, you're so humble because you recognize how sinful you are. Man, like, I, that's great that you like confess your sin and we want I would love churches to be more about confessing their sins to one another we're actually going to practice that here in a minute one by one no no okay just kidding like so, no but uh, like you know we we it's it's a great thing it's a good thing even as pastor mark talked about like that we confess our sins but we shouldn't wallow in our sin we don't wallow in self-pity over our weakness or our inability to walk in holiness because honestly, that's just our way of turning the focus back on us. And ultimately, it results in a weak and powerless plan for life that's dependent on our ability to avoid sinning again. Like, how good can I be? How awesome can I be? Like, let me muster up enough strength to not sin again. You know, but after we've confessed our sin and mourned over our broken relationship with Jesus, honestly, we just need to stop. We need to stop and we need to remember God's grace. We need to remember grace. So today I want to look at three attributes of God's grace that we'll see in, in Nehemiah 9. If you if you forgot where you've been already, like the good thing about preaching through the Bible, if the pre- pastor forgets like what to, t- to tell you to turn, like you should just like, you know, turn to where you were like last, right? And if you don't know where you were, it's because you weren't here last week. So come to church. So Right? So, like, turn with me to Nehemiah 9, because what we're going to see in Nehemiah 9, the back half of it that, uh, that Mark graciously left for me to preach, is, is these three attributes of, of grace. I love talking about God's grace. And what we see here is, is, uh, today is that we're going to see an, uh, that God's grace is abundant, and that God's grace is relentless. And out of our understanding of the abundant and relentless nature of God's grace is God's sufficient grace. Like, we come to a place of understanding that, that God's grace is totally sufficient. So let's consider the first 
uh, uh, attribute of God's grace, His abundance. And last week, Mark covered the first portion of Nehemiah 9 where the priests launch into this prayer, praising the Lord. And in the first part of the prayer, they begin by recognizing God as creator and covenant maker, covenant keeper, rescuer, leader, reconciler, provider. I mean, all these amazing things. And honestly, if, after, if you knew nothing more about the history of Israel other than what the priests had already prayed at this point, it would be natural for you to think that the Israelites were grateful and faithful people. Man, like, God is so amazing. How could you not, like, want to just live your whole life for this guy? But you see, the transition here, although it should be this amazing therefore, right? Like out of the overflow of this, therefore they went on to live, to live these amazing lives. But instead, in the history of Israel, we see that they are riddled with unfaithful and rebellious responses towards the Lord. And it elicits this contrasting but clause. Read with me beginning in verse 16. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds, which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. You see, the priests are recounting the mumbling and grumbling of the Israelites who failed to trust the Lord for his provision in the desert. Remember, they're out in the desert and they're like hungry and thirsty. You know, so they start crying out and they start grumbling against God. But remember this, this is after they had been led out of Egypt. This is after they had been led for, out from under the oppressive hand of Pharaoh. This is after facing imminent death on the edge of the Red Sea. And this is after God parts the Red Sea and they walk through it. This is after the Lord crushes their enemy and were just ensuring that they had freedom from slavery. All of this mumbling and grumbling, not trusting the Lord, comes after these amazing acts of God. Like, you know, like Red Sea parts, walls of water, like you're walking through that. Man, God, I, I don't know if you can provide some food. What? Like, did you see, like, I can just imagine, like, God sitting, like, on his throne, like, oh, anybody else see the, like, you know, like the, angel, the angels are, like, around them, they're going, yeah, we don't get this. Like, what's wrong with these folks? Like, did they see what we just did? Like, you know, and, uh, like, this is, all of this is happening after after all these miracles, instead of trusting the Lord for the provision of the day, they wanted to go back to a life of oppression. Man, God has like, come into each of our lives. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, like, reflect on your life. Where has God shown up in your life? How has God graced your life? But man, each one of us, myself included, guilty as charged, like, are so tempted back into a life of slavery and to our sin because on some level it's comfortable. You know, like we get into this, this, uh, this rhythm of life of knowing how to live life, knowing how to live in dysfunction. And instead of choosing like God's glory or God's grace or living in a healthy way, we just choose dysfunction because we, at least we know how to do that. I don't know how to do this over here, so I'll choose dysfunction instead. And we see that in the lives of the Israelites here. And then we see in verse 18, one of the most egregious acts against God, as they, it says that they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Like this, this little thing that they create, like they, 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 they give it credit instead of giving God the glorious credit for what has just happened. And then they just, for good measure, tag on at the end of there that they committed a great blasphemies. These multiple, we don't even have time to go over all these, but they just committed a bunch of other things. Like, so, you know, here, here it is. But, and we see in both of these accounts a lack of faith and a, and a misplaced faith. 
In both of these counts, there's a lack of faith to trust God, and there's a misplaced faith on something other than God himself. In both instances, the Israelites have forgotten Yahweh's active presence and provision in their life. They've forgotten his active presence and provision. Yet back in verse 17, we read that in spite of all this, God is a God of forgiveness. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. A God that did not forsake them. And not only did God forgive, God continued to abundantly provide for them. And God is like, He forgives you and then He gives you everything you need. Look at verses 19 through 21 where we see this constant guidance and provision. It says that the pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your manna you did not withhold from their mouth. And you gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness. And they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out. Nor did their feet swell. Guys, we have got to understand that God is not just a social activist seeking to free people from oppressive circumstances. He's not just a social activist. Social activism is great, but that is not the sole thing that God is doing here. He didn't just save the Israelites, and He hasn't just saved you and me from something. He has, his salvation has led us into something, into a new reality. A new reality. A reality abundant in, pro, in provision for real life today. Right now. We live in this already and not yet, right? The already kingdom has come. Jesus came saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Like we live in the already kingdom of God. And yet we still ha- it's, it's still in work, right? Because Jesus hasn't come back. But, but God is saying in Jesus' proclamation, like we, the things that he wants to give you are here and they're real for you right now. Man, and this is what we've been invited into. And a gracious abundance has, been, has come to us. And it perfectly meets every need with provisional precision. Provisional precision is how God meets our needs. It's not always the provision we think we need, though. It's not always the provision we think we need. But know that it is the provision that has been divinely purposed for your flourishing. It's been divinely purposed for your, your flourishing and my flourishing. In Exodus 16:4, uh, we see in reference to God's provision of food in the desert that God says this, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instructions. And God's provision comes to us in a certain way for what reason? Because God desires so deeply for us to trust Him completely for every physical, emotional, and spiritual need that we have. He wants the whole of our heart. He doesn't just want our Sunday heart. Man, He, did, like, he doesn't just want our Sunday one-hour morning heart. You know, like, He doesn't just want our Tuesday night Bible study heart. He wants the every day when you wake up, The every day when you go to sleep, the every moment, every hour as we sang in our songs today, He wants every aspect of your heart. And He wants you to, He just wants you to trust Him with all of it. 
He wants you to, to surrender to all of those things. So let me ask you, what is your need? What are you anxious about today? Whatever the circumstance, what is the inclination of your heart? To whom are you going to turn? Are you going to turn to means made by men with finite ability and limited resources or an infinite God with infinite resources? Don't forget God. Remember God. And remember that God's grace is abundant. Repeat after me, God's grace is abundant. Next, is, it's essential that we remember the relentless nature of God's grace. Because just like the next section of this prayer, our, our relational tendency with God mimics this cyclical pattern that parallels the tendency of the Israelites. Historical theologians have called this cyclical pattern the Deuteronomic cycle. It's a cycle that begins in the historical accounts recorded in Deuteronomy and goes, and goes through 2 Kings, so a long period in the history of, of Israel. And the pattern goes like this. Rejection, rebuke, recognition, repentance, repeat. Repeat, right? It's like your song list just started over. You know, kind of a thing. Like they, they, they would be in the favor of God, but then they would reject God. God would punish them and rebuke them in some way. They would come to realize like, well, this isn't good, right? And then they would finally like repent and, and you know, right themselves with the Lord. They'd come back to a, a good place with God. And then it was like somebody just went and hit the repeat button. Well, that was fun. Let's do it again, all right? So, you know, see if you can catch the pattern here beginning in verse 22. Where it says, You also gave them kingdoms and peoples, and allotted them to them as a boundary. They took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. You made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So their sons entered and possessed the land. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. And you gave them into their hand and their kings and the peoples of the land to do with them, to, with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities and a fertile land. And they took possession of houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and reveled in your great goodness. But, but, but. But, huge but there in verse 26. But they became disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who had admonished them so that they might return to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their oppressors and opp who oppressed them. But when they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven. And according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before you. Therefore, you abandoned them into the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And, but when they cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you rescued them according to your compassion and admonished them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he shall live. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their necks and would not listen. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Third, verse 31. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them. 
or forsake them. For you are a gracious and compassionate God. Over and over, the people reject God. Over and over, God punished them out of his love for them. Over and over, the people cried out to God. Over and over, they would repent. And here's the best part. Over and over, God's relentless grace welcomed them home. Over and over, and over and over in my life have I repeated this. Over and over in in your life, I imagine you've done the same. And how awesome is God? How awesome is His grace? You see, our forgetfulness doesn't negate God's love for us. Remember, the forgiveness we receive isn't something we can earn. In fact, it's something we don't even deserve. It's a gift that's freely given. And here's here's the thing. We can't out-sin God's grace. You cannot out-sin God's grace. Like there's not like a, a measure of God's grace and that like we're sinning, we're sinning, and we're just hoping we don't go over the line. You cannot outsend God's grace. There is no threshold to cross in order to earn God's grace, and there's no threshold we can cross that puts us out of the reach of God's grace. So repeat after me. God's grace is abundant. God's grace is relentless. And how important is it to remember the abundant and relentless nature of God's grace? Well, it's directly connected, as I said before, to, the, to our remembrance of the sufficiency of God's grace. When we grasp the infinite provision and the unceasing kindness of God, it directs our hearts to know where to turn in our times of need. It directs our hearts when we fully trust in His provision. Read with me in verse, beginning in verse 32. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardships seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions with which you have admonished them. But they in their own kingdom, with your great goodness which you, have, which you gave them, with the broad and rich land which you set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today. And as to the land which, they, which you gave to our fathers to eat of its, good, of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves in it. Its abundant produce is for the kings whom you have set over us because of our sin. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. So we are in great distress. You know, in in their remembrance through the reading of the Word, that long six-hour reading of the Word, you know, not a 30-minute sermon, no complaints in the future, right? These priests have been drawn back to a place of singular dependence on Yahweh. And they're like reading through that history and they're going, man, like Yahweh is awesome. He's incredible. They're in distress and rather than lean into their own strength or problem-solving abilities, they petition the Lord. They just go straight to God. They've completely surrendered to the reality that unless the Lord hears their cries and takes note of their hardship, their enslavement, their distress, then there's no hope. There's literally no hope. There's nowhere else they can turn. 
There's nobody else that it will give them freedom. There's nobody else that will lead them out from under this oppression. I mean, our lives are so riddled with, that, with an attempt to seek like, freedom from our sin in so many other places, right? We drown our, our, ourselves in some kind of like, you know, a, a habitual pattern of, of eating you know, food that we like or drinking alcohol or doing drugs or uh, maybe watching the Super Bowl or something like that. No, it's okay. You can watch the Super Bowl. But like, we do these things in some attempt to like, give us a reprieve. From this, this state of enslavement that we feel to like the brokenness of our lives. And Jesus is just saying, hey, just come to me. Because none of those things will satisfy you. I mean, they're going to give you a momentary pleasure, but guess what? You'll be right back. As soon as, as the clock hits zero at the end of that game, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, there, there was, there's going to be some people that are going to be elated, you know, for a, like a week in New England. I'm not too high on Philly, right? So, you know... And we've been there. We, were, we lived in New England. We saw that. They're elated and they're crazy about their fans. But guess what? They hunger for another one immediately because they're not satisfied. And Tom Brady's getting older. So I know time is running out. But it, aside from Jesus, there is no hope. We cannot trust in anything else because man does not wield the power of salvation or restoration. We don't wield that. We're only agents of His grace. We're, as Paul says, we're only ambassadors representing the Lord, bringing the good news to people. But Jesus is the only one that shows up and actually saves. He's the only one who can die on a cross and have His body broken and His blood shed, as we're going to celebrate here today, whose, whose, whose blood is pure to save. My blood is so bad, it is worth nothing to any of you. And so is yours. So... We're in the same boat. But Jesus is, Jesus is the only one. He's sufficient. We're only agents. And our responsibility, though, is to operate in that sufficiency of His grace that is abundant and relentless, not only for us, but for the salvation of others. Man, this is a daily call. It's a daily commitment. It's a daily understanding that when we wake up each day, we say, God, I need you. I need you today. Not because I sinned, but I just woke up. I just need you. I need your grace to help me navigate today. I don't know, even know what's going to happen. My, my boss was nice for three days. I don't know if he's going to be mean today. I don't care. I need you when he's nice and when he's mean. I need you when I have a lot and when I don't have a lot. I just need you every single day. So repeat after me this last time. God's grace is abundant. God's grace is relentless. And God's grace is sufficient. Where have you placed your faith today? Where do you find your source of strength? Have you trusted in God's saving grace? If you're here today, we want to welcome you. We want to say God's door is open to you. He just wants you to say yes to Him. Church, are you trusting that His grace is still your greatest need? The Apostle Paul, when facing a challenging relational situation, hears the Lord tell him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Not in Paul's skills or his ability, not in what God has done, you know, like, like what, what God has gifted him to do. It's perfected in his weakness, what Paul is unable to do. Because God shows up and does it through Paul. 
And, it, and, and that's how God is going to move through the church. He's going to move through the weakness of this church, not through your strength, not through your money, not through what you bring to the table. It's going to, just, it's going to move through your, your surrender to God and your surrender to say yes to Him and say, God, alone we can do nothing, but in you we can do anything. We can conquer anything that you set us out to do in your power and your strength. And we want people to know that it was your power and your strength. And God wants us to do that in each of our individual lives. As we walk out and people are seeing you know, us walk in our weakness and us even like boasting in our weakness, we're boasting in God's strength and we're saying, man, like, I, I'm only able to walk this out because of Jesus. The final verse of chapter 9 transitions from the prayer to a declaration. So look with me at that, that final verse. It's concerning a new covenant that will be written. Remember as Pastor Rob taught A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. So here the Israelites are wanting to make a new covenant, a new binding agreement. Read with me verse 38. Now because of all this, we are making an agreement in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of the leaders, our Levites and our priests. You see, their hearts are compelled to recommit their lives to God. And while this sounds like a beautiful ending and outcome, I have a spoiler alert. They again forget the Lord. Man, they again forget the Lord. They again trust in their own strength and wisdom. Just turn a couple pages. And as much as we think we are so committed to the Lord, man, I come to church religiously. You know, I come every week. I give my money. I do all these things for God. I I even wake up and read my Bible. Those things are amazing. Keep doing them. You need to keep doing that. The church needs to operate out of those things. But as much as we think we're so committed to the Lord, we have to be honest with ourselves that we daily forget God and that we're so unaware of the ways in which we do so. And we forget Him in ways that we're just completely like oblivious to. And we need to constantly ask the Holy Spirit to reveal our sin and rebellion. We need to constantly confess our brokenness and our weakness. And we need to constantly remember grace. Remember that God has established a covenant. Remember that it is His covenant that He made, a binding agreement by His blood, by His grace. He's the one that said, I will make your descendants numerous. He said it. He's the one that made it. He's the one that promised a messianic king. And by His grace has it happened to save and restore. And while we continue to break covenant, remember verse 32. Turn back to that. Because it says that we, want, we need to be making this declaration all the time. Our God is a God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant, who keeps the covenant of grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we can trust in you. You are steadfast. Lord, you are a solid rock. God, we can, we can count on you. Lord, we know that what you're doing in our lives sometimes is confusing. God, you use the foolish things in this world to confound the minds of man. And Lord, you are wonderful in every way that you do what you do. And it is good and right and just. And so Lord, we just want you to help us each and every day walk in that grace. We need you, God. Our tendency is to turn from you, God. So forgive us. Forgive us our sins, but empower us by your grace and your spirit and your truth to walk. Walk in the powerful and mighty pleasures of your, your, your glory, Lord Jesus, for your glory. We pray all this in your holy and precious name, Lord. Amen.